We're going to be over in the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 9. 2 Samuel, chapter 9. When I was pregnant with my now two-year-old in the UK, Mark's parents asked if we would like Mark's old cot for the baby to sleep in. The first chance that Mark and I were alone, I went on and on. Something like, what kind of country is this? Having babies sleep on cots, how dangerous. I want to go home where we know what's going on. Well, she said, Mark calmed her down. And although completely confused, he took her shopping to see if there was something safer than a cot. When he got to the store, I pointed at a crib. And I said, yes, that's it. That's what I want our baby to sleep in. He said, well, honey, that's fine. In this country, we call them cots. Boy, confusion can come in sometimes when we just we aren't sure about things. We don't know how this situation goes, how this, this is going on. And we, we're thinking one thing, and it's not true. We've been talking about, and specifically in our series here that, right now, about the will of God, knowing the will of God. That we need to know the will of, the will of God. If we don't know the will of God then we're believing for the wrong things, asking for the wrong things. We said before, uh, when we first started this section of this, this series, that if I don't know the will of God, my prayers go in two directions. First direction is I begin to beg. And we went through the Word of God and we looked at people who began to beg God, beg Jesus, for things, and we don't get anywhere begging. Begging does not get His attention. Faith got Jesus' attention. And some of the people who were beggars at first became faith people. And other ones he put in a situation where they could become faith people and they chose to. But once we get into a place and we're, if we're not begging, then we're generally asking for the wrong thing or believing for the wrong thing. And our faith is misplaced. Brother Hagen used to teach us, he said, faith begins where the will of God is known. Faith begins where the will of God is known. We need to, to know what God has for us. Last week, we were looking at the things we have sown. Then in our life, we have sown weeds. We've let weeds be sown in our life. We uh, had taken up Matthew chapter 13 and the parable of the sower a couple of weeks ago. And we looked at how the Word was sown in the lives of individuals. And these were the lives of believers. And those believers could take the Word of God. And some, it said, uh, the birds came and ate it because they had no understanding. Some fell upon the uh, rocky soil and they had no roots and the sun scorched them. Others, the weeds choked them. And then some fell upon good soil. Then the word that was sown produced 30, 60, 100 fold. Well, we want to get to where the word that's sown in us produces that 30, 60, 100 fold, don't we? If that word sown in us produces what God wants us to have, what the will of God is, then we receive what God promises in His Word. The problem comes in is that we sometimes see things in His Word that He's promised us, but we're not receiving them. And it's easy for us to blame others or beg God or just ask for something that's not quite the right thing. We looked at how that we can be sowing doubts for years, months, long time, and then think once we hear a message on faith, get in faith for a day or two, and then it all should be cleared up. <laughs> We've sown some seeds in there. I heard a, a minister tell a story. It was a really good story. I hope I do it justice. But he said that he, he had, in the neighborhood they were in, there's this organization and they were giving away a house. And so what you did was you came into, the, into there and for $100, you could buy a chance to win the house. It's a nice house. And so they would, he went over to the house, he and his wife, they went over to the house just to, you know, look it over and check it on out a little bit here. And as they're walking on through, he said, we got some nasty looks from some people in there. Looks that kind of said, what are you doing in my house? And they had people walking around the house, walking around the yard, claiming that yard, claiming that house for themselves. This is my house. Well, what do you do when you have 20, 30, 40 believers walking around a house, all claiming it's theirs? <laughs> What's God going to do in that thing? And so, um, uh, they didn't, I don't believe that they even bought one of the $100 chances to, to do anything with it. They just were kind of observing this thing. And so they sat back and they, they watched what happened. And then when the person who won the house, won the house, they, they went over and interviewed them. 
Find out what happened. How is it that you came upon winning this house? Because there's a whole lot of other people who were believing God and they didn't get it. And so they sat this person down and said, what were you doing? And they said, well, first off, he said, we tried to buy a house in that neighborhood and someone else got the house out from under us. And so we were believing God that we would have a house in that neighborhood and we've been confessing it and, and talking about that. And every time we get up in the morning, we'd be, we're going to have a house. We're going to have a house in that neighborhood. And they did that for, I believe, two years. And then when the opportunity came up, it came up inside them, you need to go over there and buy one of those chances. And then after they went ahead and did that, he said, my, uh, either her mother or the mother-in-law of the, of the husband said, uh, I just feel in my spirit, you need to go down there and walk around that, that property. So they both got on out there and they walked around that property. And then when it finally came time, when they, they had the drawing, they were the one that were pulled out. But see, they weren't sowing quick seeds. They didn't just hear about it and say, oh, let's just sow some seeds in here and get this done. They had been sowing into this thing for a couple of years. Now, how is it that some people sow for a couple of years and some people first hear about this contest and they all want to get involved? Well, folks, the Spirit of God leads you into seeds to sow. Brother Jolly was sharing about seeds that they sowed financially. God will lead you into areas of seeds to sow because He knows what's down the road. And He may say, you need to sow this seed here. You need, to do, you need to begin to confess this. You need to begin to say this to yourself. You need to begin to see yourself doing this and begin to sow seeds and sow seeds and sow seeds and sow seeds and water those seeds and water those seeds and water those seeds and keep the weeds out and water the seeds and sow the seeds so that when harvest time comes, you have a harvest. But we have too many people who don't want to have the patience of the farmer they want to sow today and reap tomorrow. In many areas of our life, we have been sowing seeds of doubt, seeds of despair, seeds of defeat for a long time. Sometimes it takes a little while to work all that stuff out. It doesn't always. Some people can drop it in a day, but not always. So be patient. That's what we've been going over the last couple of weeks. Be patient. Stay with it. Stay with it. Don't quit on the thing. Keep confessing that thing. Keep speaking that thing. Be convinced. But it all starts with being first off convinced that it is the will of God for you to have the thing you're believing for. It is the will of God for you to go after that thing. You have got to know it. You've got to meditate on it. You've got to keep going over things. Uh, this is what God has for me. This is what I'm to do. I believe I put this in your outline. Knowing the will of the Father is the beginning of faith, but what does it begin when we build our faith on a misconception? What happens in our life when a misconception has come in and has caused us to build faith on the wrong thing? On Wednesday nights, we've been going over the armor of God. This last uh, Wednesday night, we covered the first two. Uh, it's up on the Internet if you want to go back up there and get it. But one of them is the belt of truth. We call it the belt of truth. It just said, have your loins girt about with truth. But truth is important because truth is part of our armament. But it is truth, not what you believe. Just because you believe it doesn't make it truth. There's a whole lot of people who believe a lot of things that are not truth. There are some people who believe in evolution. Well, just because they believe in it doesn't make it so, does it? Just because you believe in a thing doesn't make it so. There are people who believe that the world was flat. They believed it strongly. They believed it so strongly they would kill anybody who believed the, who would teach anything different. That doesn't make it so, does it? Just because you believe it does not make it so. You've got to make sure that it's truth. You are not good about your loins with belief. You're good about your loins with truth. You've got to make sure that what you believe is the truth. Because if it's the truth, you'll be basing it on the will of God. Well, in Exodus chapter 17... Just going over a couple of stories here quick. Exodus chapter 17, verse 1. Then all the congregation of the children of Israel set out on their journey from the wilderness of sin according to the commandment of the Lord and camped at Rephidim. And there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people contended with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you contend with me? Why do you tempt the Lord? And the people thirsted there for water and the people complained against Moses and said, Why is it you have brought us up out of Egypt to kill us? and our children, and our livestock with thirst. So Moses cried out to the Lord, saying, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. 
And the Lord said to Moses, Go on before the people and take with you some of the elders of Israel and also take in your hand your rod, which you struck the river, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock in Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water will come from it, and the people, that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. So he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the contention of the children of Israel and because they tempted the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Can you see some wrong beliefs in there? They believed that the Lord was bringing them out to the wilderness to kill them. They believed every time there was a bad thing going on that, well, harm was meant for us. We just knew it all along. Harm was meant for us. Bad stuff was meant for us. How many have ever talked with people like that? Surely no one here, but you know you have friends outside in other places. And they're always, whenever something bad happens... Well, those things always happen to me. I just knew it was a good week. Start out a good week. I just knew something had to happen. <laughs> Where's their belief? That bad things will happen. You can talk with people who are uh, have some kind of a chronic sickness and they get a reprieve from it. Well, I just know what's coming back. You can have some people that suffer with headaches all the time. Well, how, how's that been going on? haven't had one for two weeks, so I know I'm due now. Because <laughs> there's a belief there. I just know this is going to... And you, and you have to weed out that belief to get to the place, what is the will of God in the situation? And so that you'll fight the thing. The belt of truth, this is part of our armament. It's supposed to help us get the truth of God's Word. These folks believed that the Lord was out to get them. In Exodus chapter 14, verse 11, Then they said to Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you so dealt with us to bring us up out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we told you in Egypt, saying, Let us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. Well, another time in Numbers 21 and verse 5, And the people spoke against God and against Moses, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and our soul loathes this worthless bread. Can you see some bad beliefs that they had? And these things were, were, were growing weeds. The weeds that would come in and choke out the good word, these things were being choked out. Because they had 400 years where they felt that God had forsaken them. And just because we're, He delivered us, just because He parted the Red Sea, that doesn't mean anything. Just because we had light and they had darkness. Just because all the frogs came up. Just because all the gnats came in. That doesn't mean anything. That doesn't mean God's necessarily doing something. Because we had 400 years of all this stuff. <laughs> Takes some time to weed out some of that stuff, doesn't it? God had to weed out Egypt from these people. In 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 4, Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Look, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. So Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, Heed the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me. Then I should reign over them, according to all the works which they have done since the day that I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day with which they forsaken me and served other gods. So they are doing to you also. Now therefore, heed their voice. However, you shall silently forewarn them and show them the behavior of the king who will reign over them. So they came and they asked God for a king. We want a king like other nations. Was it the will of God? Did God give it to them? Just because something is in your life does not mean it came from God or that God wants you to have it. There are all kinds of things that can come into our life that God has no intention for that to be there, never intended for us to take hold of. But the opportunity came. They saw other nations going like this way. They had the thought. And they thought, well, we had the thought, so let's go ahead and uh, ask God. You mean you had the thought? I had the thought. Others people are thinking the same way. This must be the way we should go. And God says, hey, they haven't rejected you. They've rejected me. And, and God told them, I'm supposed to be your king. I have been your king. This is the way that I set it up. But they didn't want to go that way. And so they, they went in a different direction. Did God let them? He surely did. Just because a thing is the will of God does not mean it happens, folks. Just because God wills it, just because God decrees it, doesn't mean it happens. I can go through the Word of God and show you many more times when the will of God was not done. Was it the will of God for Israel to worship idols? Absolutely not. Was it the will of God for Adam and Eve to sin? 
Absolutely not. Just because a thing happens does not make it the will of God. Other people can come along and do stuff to you. But God says, that's all right. They may have meant it for evil. I'll turn it around for good. Was it the will of God for Jacob to have his wages changed? Why would God want you to have your wages changed? But God said, look, he he can try and change them. If he does, I'll make the, the new way work even better for you. You don't worry about it. Was it God's will that Joseph be sold into slavery? Would you ever want that for your kids? Pull your son or daughter aside and say, my hope for you is that one day you get sold into slavery. Really, We're really holding that hope for that. We're looking forward to that, to that day when you're finally sold into slavery and you get to be a slave for the rest of your life. We, we've really been believing God for this. For, would you do that? No! We don't want that kind of stuff going on. We want good things for our children. We don't want them to be in that situation. Why would God want that for Joseph? God didn't want it. Who wanted it? The brothers. The brothers said, we want this son. We want to get him out of our way. So they sold him into slavery. And God says, don't worry about it. I got a way out of this. And so then Joseph was thrown into prison. Was that the will of God? For him to be unjustly accused and thrown into prison. And Joseph was looking. God says, God, I'm going backwards. And God says, don't worry about it. No matter where they put you, when I'm ready for you to be in that position, I will get you. There is no place they can put you that I cannot get you. I will get you. You don't worry about it. And so Joseph probably just calmed down and he was okay with it. And then now we find out Joseph is in the place where he's in Egypt and he's, he's uh, doing these things and famine was coming over the earth. Now let me ask you a question. Was it God's will that famine would come over the earth? Now see, a lot of times people look at this and say, well, it happened. God knew it was coming. It must have. Does God desire famine? Was that in the plan of God that he laid out in Genesis? was not laid out that way. So the enemy is bringing famine in to destroy people because if he destroys people, then that's less people going to heaven, which is what he's after. The Word of God tells us in the New Testament that the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy. That's the enemy. That's the work of the enemy. What does famine do? Kills people, steals wealth, destroys things. That's not God. That's the enemy. But God says, all right, the enemy's coming in to do this. But you know what? He's doing it to try and destroy the people of God. You know what? We're going to cause the people of God to prosper through this. I'm going to put Joseph in ahead of time. And he's going to do these things. We're going to give him wisdom. And he just orchestrated the whole thing around to preserve Israel. And make Israel a great nation. You see, no matter what the enemy throws against you. At your job. In your health. In your home. In your neighborhood. No matter what the enemy throws against you. You can win. But stop seeing what comes against you as the will of God. Because if you see it as the will of God, you don't fight it. Well, I guess if this happened, then God must have wanted it. God is sovereign. God is overall. It wouldn't happen unless God wanted it to. Do I need to go through the Word of God and show you more times? (laughs) It's over and over and over. Things happened that God didn't want. Go over to the New Testament. You don't have to turn there. You can just turn there in your mind. When Jesus was born on this earth and Herod couldn't kill him, what does Herod go out and do? He goes out there to kill all the babies. Is that God's will? It's not God's will, is it? But God says, you're not going to win. I'm going to pull my kid out. Now, I'm sure that anyone else that was in there that was listening to God, God would have given them a way out too. But you've got to listen. Over in the uh, uh, story with Israel again, the uh, angel was coming to kill. But he says, look, I'm not trying to come. Just put, the, just put the blood on the post. Put the blood on the post. There's no problem here. If you don't submit and put the blood on the post, someone's, going, someone's dying. It's going to be the firstborn. Well, some people rejected that. Don't have to. Don't have to be that way. Here's our main story we want to go over to. Second Samuel chapter 9. We have covered this story in the past, but I've looked over my notes over the years, and it appears that over all the time that we've been here, we've only covered this story twice. So it's about time we covered it again. <laughs> it's a real good story to let us know about the things of the will of God. In Second Samuel chapter 9, verse 1, Now David said, Is there still anyone who is left in the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? 
And there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. So when they had called him to David, the king said to him, Are you Ziba? He said, At your service. The king said, Is there not still someone in the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? And Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan who is lame in his feet. So the king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, Indeed, he is in the house of Machar, the son of Amiel in Lodabar. Then King David sent and brought him out of the house of Machir and the son of Amiel from Lodabar. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, had come to David, he fell on his face and prostrated himself. Then David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Here is your servant. Now first off, let's take a look at Ziba. Ziba was a servant of the house of Saul. And he was apparently able to be found. And what is interesting as we go through this story, not much is really told about Ziba. But as we go through the story, we find out that Saul's stuff is still intact. And to me, you know, I'm, I'm summarizing it here or, or maybe reading some things into it. But someone must have been taking care of it. Because a whole lot of Saul's stuff is given to Mephibosheth. So someone must have been taking care of it. Well, they went and they got Ziba. My understanding of this would probably be that Ziba was still taking care of the house of Saul. All the stuff. Now, if Ziba is taking care of the house of Saul, who is profiting? Ziba. Because all the descendants of Saul are gone. So Ziba is profiting from this. Mostly. Maybe there's some other ones that are around there, but we're not told about them. He doesn't go out there and find them. He finds Ziba, a servant. And Ziba knows about Mephibosheth. He knows where he is. He knows who's taking care of him. He knows his condition. But he never went out there to try and get him. And maybe he thought he wouldn't come back. And maybe he thought that David, if he knew of him, wouldn't uh, do anything. But he doesn't seem to have to be tortured for this information. If he thought all that time, if Mephibosheth were to be found and brought into here, David might kill him. But he's called to David. And is there anyone left? He doesn't say, no, no, I think they're all dead. He says, oh, yeah, yeah, there's one more. <laughs> he's over here. He lives over there, and he's lame in his feet, and he tells them all the details about him. Maybe Ziba's hoping that he'll go over there and kill him too, because he knows he's got an heir to what Ziba's been doing. I don't know. But later on, Ziba does, shows questionable character. And so I would think that that summary might very well be true. Well, we'll have to wait till we get to heaven to find out. But that's all right. We don't need to know too much about Ziba. He's not the main part of the story. Main part of the story is Mephibosheth. Most of you have heard of that name. Well, when uh, Mephibosheth, and at his age, when he uh, had come to the throne, we find that in Second Samuel chapter four and verse four, that when he was he was young, that a, a nurse who was taking care of him, when she heard about Saul, and that all the the folks were uh, killed, that they decided, well, we better get on over there, and we better get this boy out because they're going to kill him. Because whenever someone takes over a throne, they knock off all the people that might be heirs. So uh, we've got we to gotta wipe him out. So it says, Jonathan, Saul's son, had a son who was lame in his feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. And his nurse took him and fled. And it happened as she made haste to flee that he fell and became lame. His name was Mephibosheth. So he was born into a house that was supposed to be a good house. He was supposed to have a good future ahead of him. And then all of a sudden, in one day, his future is erased. And the nurse picks him up and runs off, meaning well for the guy. But then she falls and he gets something to happen to his legs. It, more than likely, you know, his legs broke and there was no care because they were trying to hide them. And they didn't heal right. And so he couldn't use them. More than likely, that's the kind of scenario that you're, you're looking at for the guy. So uh, he grows up. And he's in hiding. He can't come out. He can't you know, do the things that other kids are doing probably. They, he can't let them know where he came from or you know, who was your dad. He's got to say somebody else. He can't say it was Saul or, he was somebody, or Jonathan or being anywhere involved in that family. And he's, he's lame. How did you get that way? He's probably just saying, well, I was born that way, even though he wasn't born that way. He, was, <laughs> he had other things that went on. But if you're Mephibosheth, and you hear the stories because eventually they begin to tell you that uh, you know you were born to Saul's house. You were in the king's house, Jonathan's son. Jonathan became king. It's very likely that you could have become king after him. But things didn't work out that way, and now David's ahead of the throne. And if David ever finds out about you, 
You're dead. David will kill you. So for years, he's being told, David will kill you. David doesn't like you. He doesn't know David. He may be wondering, why does David not like me? Why would David try and kill me? I'm no threat. I'm just trying to get along, do some things. So David calls from Mephibosheth. So all these years, now at this point, we'll find out in the story that Mephibosheth has a son. How old was he when they ran? Five years. He now has a son. So a lot of years have transpired between the time then to the time now. So all these years he's being told, David can never know you exist. David will kill you. Now, for the first few years, it wasn't David. David was king over Judah, but someone else was king over Israel. And he had to be careful about that. But now it's David. David is the focal point. And David is the guy. Somewhere around when Mephibosheth was 12 years old, David took the throne over all Israel. And they said, David will kill you. And so he's had these things told to him all these years, all these years. David will kill you. David is looking for you. David is just trying to find out if there are any more descendants of Saul because if there are, he will wipe them out. Don't let them know that you're here. Well, this is Mephibosheth's expectation. When David calls for Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth is thinking, well, I knew eventually it would happen. There it is. I don't know what I could do. David knows I'm here. They sent people. That's his, ex- his expect- expectation is to go before David and die. I'm going to be killed. His view of David is not real good. All the way up until though, it has been real good. How, how would you be thinking about a guy that you've been told all your, most of your life anyway, David's going to kill you, David's after you, and now David's called you, you're on his way over to David's castle, over his home, face him at the throne, and on your way there, what are you thinking about David? Good thoughts? Yeah, probably not. Probably, man, I'm just, I'm not messing with anybody. I'm not hurting him. Why does he got to call me up? Why does he got to kill me? Why? I got a son. I probably means he has a wife. They're dependent on me. I can't do a whole lot, but I've been doing the best that I can for them. And, oh, it's just been, life has been so hard. I was supposed to be going through this whole, in his head. I was supposed to be in the king's house. Now I'm hiding out in Lodabar. I was supposed to be rich. Now I barely have enough to get along. I was supposed to have all these things at my access and now I, I have nothing at my access. I've been in fear of my life all, every day. Every day wondering, the people coming down the road, are they here to get me? And one day they came down the road and they were here to get them. Is Mephibosheth here? Oh, they even know my name. How do they know? Well, Mephibosheth's view of David was not the greatest. But David's view of Mephibosheth was unknown to him at the time. Mephibosheth didn't know. He had a good idea because other people had been telling him some stuff. Now, the name Mephibosheth was not actually his first name, or not actually his name originally. If you go over to First Chronicles chapter 8, I'll read this for you if you don't want to flip all the way over there. Verse 30, And his firstborn son was Abdon, Zer, Kish, Baal, and Nadab, Gadir, Ahio, Zechar, Mekloth, who begot Shemaah, they also dwelt alongside their relatives in Jerusalem with their brethren. Near begot Kish. Everybody remember Kish? Only one Kish I know of in the Bible. Kish begot Saul. Saul begot Jonathan, Malkishua, Abinadab, and Eshbaal. The son of Jonathan was Meribel. And Meribel begot Micah. So Micah is his son. Now, originally, Mephibosheth is called Meribael. Apparently, his name was changed. At some point through his history, it was made to be something else. I've heard a couple of things about it, that the Baal was changed to Bosheth, and that it means the shameful thing. But I also heard that his original name, Meribael, it means opponent of Baal. The second, Mephibosheth, is a more generic, contends with idols. So you went from opponent to Baal to contends with idols. It, uh, whichever one is true. I'm not an expert on Hebrew names. In verse 7, So David said to him, Second Samuel chapter 9, So David said to him, Do not fear, for I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan your father's sake, and will restore to you all the land of Saul your grandfather, and you shall eat bread at my table continually. Then he bowed himself and said, What is your servant that, I should, that you should look upon such a dead dog as I? 
So David says, first off, do not fear. Because he knows that's what, he's got to be in fear. He's got to be fearing for his life. Because most kings who call descendants of the former ruler do so to kill them. We can go through the Bible. There were two cases in the Bible where they did that. The, the new ruler over in the uh, king of Israel, when the new ruler came in, wiped out all the other ones. Do not fear, for I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake. So the kindness that is being shown to Mephibosheth is because of Jonathan. It has nothing to do with Mephibosheth. It has everything to do with Jonathan. Because David and Jonathan were in a covenant. And Jonathan held him to a covenant. And David was going to honor the covenant. And he said, I need to find some descendants. Probably for all these years, since the time he took the throne, he's wondering, is there anyone of the house of Jonathan left? Is there anyone from the house of Jonathan left? And he's not getting an answer. He's not able to find out. And finally, someone says, oh, there's Ziba over here. Go get him. And they bring Ziba on over and Ziba gives up the goods. And they go get, go get the guy. And he bowed himself and said, What is your servant that you should look upon such a dead dog as I? How many times have we thought the same thing of God? God, who am I that you would bless me? Who am I that you would give me such a nice thing? You know, we get out there. How many times have you seen somebody driving by in a really nice car? Oh, that person's so lucky. Look at that car. Oh, that is such a nice car. Oh, I wish I had a car like that. I don't have a car like that. I like to have a car like that. I don't have a car like that. May never have a car like that. Because we have a view. Who am I that God would bless me in such a way as that? Look at somebody who's got this beautiful house. How many of you have ever gone driving down different places, new neighborhoods, and you see these huge homes? And you think, wow. And you get the idea, how about if we camp out here and follow them to work the next day? Let's <laughs> see where they're working at. <laughs> Wow, what a house. I mean, some of them long driveways and beautiful trees line the driveway. And you get to the end of it, this big house and these huge pillars. Nice garages. I was driving by a house the other day, and they didn't have one set of garages. They had two sets of three-car garages on each side of the house. Three-car garages, two sets of them, three cars on this side, three cars on this side. You can imagine my mind was doing some things. <laughs> wow, look at that. And look at the beautiful house, how it's set in the middle and how the garage is just kind of set it. Oh, that is so... And we begin to think, you know, well, who am I? And God would bless me with that. Who am I? I'm just, you know, nobody, nobody good and nobody special. Because we've been telling ourselves for a long time, God wants us poor. Religion has taught us God wants us poor. God doesn't want you to have stuff. Having stuff is no good. You have stuff, you're probably going to be on your way to hell. Because anybody who has stuff, they're on their way to hell. Because they have stuff. Can't have stuff. Remember the rich young ruler, go and sell all you have. You've got to go and sell all you have in order to become, you know, you've got to get rid of it all. All that stuff is just, it's just hurting you. That's crazy. If the Christians don't have the money, then how are the people that need to be blessed, that need to be helped, going to be helped? None of the Christians have any money. God wants you to be able to get out there and sow some seeds and help some people and do some things to further the kingdom. So He wants you to be blessed. He wants whatever it is that you set your hands to do, to be blessed. Whatever you do, you can be the best at it. And people will pay extra money to have you do it. And you've got to go in with that attitude. That God will bless me. Whatever it is that I do will be better than anyone else. I'll be the best. Because my Father says, whatever you set your hands to do, I'll bless it. And if God blesses it, how good can it be? How good can it be? If you take on a new job, don't you fear? You will outperform everyone around you. Because God will give you greater wisdom. God will give you greater ability. You're going to work harder because you're going to work as unto God. And it's going to show. And people are going to say, you know what? We need to give you a raise. And they'll give you a raise and they'll give you a better position and they'll move you on up. And just like Daniel moved up in the kingdom and just as his buddies moved up in the kingdom because God blessed them with, uh, with uh, wisdom, 
They moved up in a foreign kingdom. Joseph moved up in a foreign kingdom because God blessed everything that he did. You've got to begin to tell yourself, my Father God wants me to prosper. Ask me this question. Was the will of God done with Abraham? And what did God say about him? I'm going to make you a father of many nations and I will bless you. <laughs> I will bless you. And he had so much faith and confidence in that when he went out and he knocked out the five kings and he took all that stuff they had. He gave all the stuff back that belonged to the other, the other kings. He says, I don't want you to be able to say that you made me rich. I don't need your stuff to help God out. God will bless me just fine. God will bless you. Yeah, but God doesn't want me wasting money on nice cars and nice houses and nice clothes. I'll just go over to the Goodwill store and see what I can pull out. and You know, just an apartment. It's fine. And, you know, just uh, one of those little smart cars that people drive around and just get one of those. You see, that devil loves you being having that mentality. Because if you take that mentality in the area of prosperity... You'll take that mentality in the area of health. Well, I know that God has a lot on His plate. I don't know that God necessarily is concerned about this. I've had it for a lot of years. If I had it for all these years, I'm sure that God knows about it. And God would have taken care of it by now. How old was Abraham when he finally had a child? 99 when she got pregnant, 100 when he was born. Did God know about his plate? He sure did. And for the last 25 years, he'd been working on them to try and get him into a place of faith. And finally got him there. We've got to get rid of that attitude that, well, it's God's will that I just be on barely get a long street and just don't have a whole lot going on. Where is it that God wanted to take Israel? The best land on the face of the earth. I'm going to take you to a place of milk and honey. Now, we did a study here on Wednesday night a long time ago, if you remember. And we outlined to you where the Garden of Eden was. Or the land of Eden, anyway. And the land of Eden is Israel. The land of Eden was Israel. God said, I'm going to take you to the best land I got. I've been holding this one out here for you. Waiting for you guys to... Waiting for somebody that I could bless. And when I could bless them, I'm going to, I'm going to take them into here. And I'm going to put them in this spot. And you're just going to prosper and do well. But see, we have been fed religion for so long that I think, well, I'm not supposed to prosper. I'm not supposed to do well. It's not the will of God. So when we go to prayer, what do we say? Well, God, you know, I need, I need $50 to pay this bill. And I tell you what, if you could just come up with the $40, i will I can get the $10. Dear Lord, people, what kind of a God do we serve? We need to understand we serve a great God who's not bothered by us having stuff. He just doesn't want the stuff to have us. And when He calls upon us and He says, I need you to go over there and bless this person, we go over there and we bless them. Go over there and help that person. Go over there and help them. We have that attitude. I don't hang on to any of the stuff that I have. If God says, I want you to go over there and give this stuff, give it over here. Even if it's something that you really like, you go ahead and do it. Because God says, you're opening a door. When you do that and you obey in that way, you open the door for me to do other things. But we've got to get rid of the mentality that God wants to take away all of our stuff. God wants us to have a couple of sicknesses and diseases to keep us humble. No, that's not God. That's not what He wants us to do. He wants us whole. He wants us healthy. He wants us blessed. He wants us to prosper. You tell me one person in the Word of God where God says, all right, now hold on a minute. I need you to be poor. I need you to be broke. I need you to have no money. I mean, Jesus wasn't even that way. Jesus had so much money in His ministry, they constantly gave to the poor. So much so that the Last Supper, when Judas left, they all said, well, he's just going out to get money to the poor again. That's how often it happened. He'd just, he just go, go, Judas, go get some money to the poor. And he'd go out there and do it. He had money to do it. He had money to have good clothes. He had such a nice clothes that he was wearing when they was, took him to crucify him. They said, we don't want to rip this. This is good. We can keep this one. Probably had the best sandals. Reeboks or Saucony's or somewhere like that. He didn't like, I know that. 
No, I'm just having fun. Uh, he had he had some good good sandals there. He's going to get one with extra wear, extra durability, extra cushioning. He, because this is this is what he wants. God wants us to be to be blessed, to prosper. When the Queen of Sheba came over to Solomon, she was she looked over at his kingdom and says, "Wow, what a God you must serve! Look at." How he has blessed your kingdom. Look at the house. Look at the temple. Look at how your servants are. Wow. And they're all happy. You must take care of them. Hmm. She was impressed with the God that he served because of the condition of the land. And every time that Israel went after God wholeheartedly, put everything in to go after God, what happened to their land? Prospered. And when they went away from God, what happened? They got poor. They lost their money. It was a constant cycle they would go through. They would get poor, have no uh, defense, and then uh, turn to God, and then God would heal them, and they would start getting stronger and richer, and then begin to not depend on God anymore, and then they go back down again. It was a big cycle they would go go through all the time. Well, the devil's been trying to sell us for a long time that... The poor side is where we're to be when we're seeking after God on the high side. But that's not the pattern in the Word of God. The Word of God shows us that if you seek after God, He takes care of you. But see, we're approaching God so often with this mentality that, well, man, I need, I need $500 to get this thing done. I mean, that's a lot of money to ask of God. Can you imagine that a man who paves his streets with gold buys or gets pearls large enough to carve gates out of them, uses gemstones for foundations, is wondering where he's going to come up with $500. Yeah, $500, that's a, that's a tall order. But you see, we're fighting religion. We've learned religion for a long time. Religion teaches us, be poor, have nothing, give it all away, and then when you're in heaven, you'll have riches and such and such things. That's what religion has taught us. We've got to get rid of that. We've got to go into jobs and say, Father God, you want me to be blessed here, and you want me to be a blessing for them. I'm going to work hard, and I'm going to bless the socks off of this place, and they're going to see it, and they're going to bless me. And we work hard. We don't just sit around waiting for money to come to us. We work hard. And we look for opportunities. And when an opportunity comes up, we seize it. We say, Father God, I thank you. Here's an opportunity. And you can bless me. You can promote me. You can prosper me. You can take me on. You've got to get a different view. We have been locked in a view of God just like Mephibosheth had of David. And how did Mephibosheth get the view of David? From the nurse, from the servants of the house, from the people he lived with, from the people he interacted with who knew who he was, they constantly told him, don't tell anyone who you are. David is going to kill you. His whole view of David and what was going to happen with his future is shaped by people who don't know David. Because if any of those people knew David, they would know right off the bat, David would not do anything to you. Because this is not the first time that David has said this. This is not the first time that David said, Oh yeah, Jonathan, I almost forgot about him. David thought of Jonathan a lot. He was a good friend of his. How many of you all had a real good friend growing up? Real close friend. And you still think about them today, don't you? Still think about some of the things you did with them, some of the interactions you had with them, some of the fun times. Oh, yeah, we, we can still think about that. Oh, David thought about Jonathan often. And he was, often, I'm perhaps sure, often asking the question, Are you sure? Are you sure there is no one? And finally, he finds out. But anybody who knew David knew David wanted to prosper whoever it was that was a descendant of Jonathan. Now, notice that David didn't ask Mephibosheth, Well, have you been speaking right about me? Have you been saying nasty things about me? 
Have you been praying that God would kill me? He doesn't he didn't ask about any of that at all. He doesn't ask a word about Mephibosheth's life. He says, Mephibosheth, I am going to bless you for Jonathan's sake. It has nothing to do with you. I don't even know who you are. I don't even know if I like you yet. But it doesn't matter. I had a covenant relationship with your dad. And because of that, this is what you are in store for. This is what you get. Verse 9, And the king called to Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, I have given to your master's son all that belonged to Saul and to all his house. You, therefore, and your sons and your servants shall work the land for him, and you shall bring in the harvest, and your master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's son, shall eat bread at my table always. Now Ziba had fifteen sons and twenty servants. Why did he need twenty servants if he had fifteen sons? Did you ever wonder that? Why does Ziba, who was a servant of the house of Saul, need 20 servants if he has 15 sons? Apparently, he had a whole lot of stuff to work. And it wasn't his. Then Ziba said to the king, According to all that my lord the king has commanded his servant, so will your servant do. So he's, uh, he's agreeable right now to it. But I'm sure, you know, because it's the king. What are you going to do? <laughs> this is the king. He can kill me. <laughs> All right, we'll go ahead and do that. So he's been working the land all this time, probably for himself. Now he's told, all right, now you're going to keep working the land just like you've been doing, but all the money goes to Mephibosheth. Man, this is great. Okay. <laughs> well, it wasn't his to begin with. Doesn't mean he didn't uh, benefit from it. He would be benefiting from it as well. As for Mephibosheth, he shall eat at my table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah, and all who dwelt in the house of Ziba were the servants of Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he ate continually at the king's table, and he was lame in both of his feet. He continually ate at the king's table. Even though stuff was being prepared for him, money was being put into accounts, he didn't have to use any of it, because whatever he needed came from the king. And he ate at the king's table. Mephibosheth is expecting the end of, a life, end of his life, but instead of the end of his life, folks, he finds its beginning. He can finally now start to live. He went from hiding from the presence of the king to in his presence daily. Many times Christians have gone from hiding from God because they're afraid of what God's will might be for their life. And God wants them to come into a place where they can come to him daily. Not because of how good you are. It is because of Jesus. It is because of the covenant that God had with Abraham. Because God said to Abraham, I will do this to all of your descendants. And Jesus told us that if we believed, we were Abraham's descendants. So God wants to prosper you. God wants to bless you. Just as He did for Abraham, He wants to do for you. He wants to do all that. Well, Mephibosheth went from hardly any qualifications. He was not qualified to be a king's son. He was not qualified to eat at the king's table. To having others qualified to serve him. He, king went now there and qualified Ziba. Ziba, you're qualified now. You're going to serve Mephibosheth. So what qualified Mephibosheth for all this? Because of the covenant of Jonathan. Because of the covenant that was with Jonathan. There was a senior citizen who was driving down the freeway. And his uh, car phone rang. And on the end of, the, end of the phone, it was his wife. And his wife, there was an urgency in her voice. And she said, Herman, Herman, I just saw in the news. There's some nut driving down 295 going the wrong way. And Herman said, man, they told you wrong, honey. There's hundreds of people going the wrong way on this road. Sometimes, folks, we think everyone else is going the wrong way. God's Word, in His Word, He has said, I have provided for you health and healing all of your days. I have provided for you prosperity. I will bless what it is that you do. I will bless your going in. I will bless your going out. I will bless those who, who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. I will make you the head and not the tail. These are the promises, and you can go on and on and on. God has promised us many things. He has not promised us a life of defeat. He has promised us a life of victory. 
He has promised us a life where He is there providing for us. This is what He says. He says it over and over and over and over. But the enemy has come in and sown seeds of religion so that we would begin to think that, no, I need to be sick. I need to be lowly. I need to be poor. I need to have nothing. So much so that you ask me, you answer me this. How many times have you seen one of them preachers that's on the TV drive off in their car and it's a Rolls Royce or it's a uh, whatever high-end car and you begin to think, now, now, you shouldn't be driving around in one of those things. Why do we think that? Because this mentality has gotten on the inside of us. And we begin to think this is what God wants. If we look at the son of a Donald Trump, would we expect him to be driving a Yugo? We would not expect that, would we? Would we be expecting a son of a Rockefeller to be going around and driving in a Volkswagen Rabbit? We wouldn't expect that. We look, why are you driving this thing? You could be driving a BMW. You could be driving a Mercedes. You could be driving a Ford. <laughs> you could be driving all these other things. Why are you driving this? Why are you dressed this way? Why are you going through? We're wondering because what we're seeing in the sons doesn't reflect what we see in the father. And see, God knows the same thing. What he, what people see reflected in us is how they see him. How they see God. Well, folks, there's some things that I know. That you and I, we all know. I know some things because others tell me. Right? I know some things because others tell me. How many, how many times have people come up and they told you some stuff? Did you hear? Did you know? Let me tell you something. Did you hear what happened? And people tell us these things. And we base stuff off of what they tell us. Because I know this because someone told me. I know some things because of what others have done to me. Have people done things to you? And then you get to... Develop a knowledge based on what some people have done to you. How many times have you been at work and the employer burned you? Did something that wasn't all that good? Well, I can begin to know some things about employers. And I can begin to shape some ideas about employers. That they're all out for their own good. They're not out to help me out. So I need to get whatever I can. I know some things based on what others expect of me. Anybody ever had people in your life that expected certain things? I sometimes don't feel like anyone likes me. Ever been there with that? Get down there and no one likes me. Everybody hates me. No friends. Nothing. But see, that's not the way that God wants things to be. Don't accept that. Don't buy into that. I heard this quote from Forrester Barrington. People can meet superficial needs, but only God can meet our deep needs. People can meet superficial needs, but only God can meet our deep needs. Don't be keep looking to people for all these things. Don't look to people to meet your need to know what the will of God is. Don't look to their expectations. Don't look to the things that they say, well, this is what I know about God. What does His Word say? What is in His Word? Find me some people that He made poor. Even the rich young ruler. There was no indication that God was going to keep him without any stuff. He just said, go sell it all, come follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. Didn't say that he wasn't going to let them uh, become prosperous again. There's some things that I act on that I know. And walking in the flesh comes from, there's, there's certain things we can do when we walk in the flesh. When I begin to walk in the flesh, to walk in such a way, and the flesh is to walk, in the, and what we're looking at here today, to walk in the flesh is to walk in a knowledge that is against who God is. That's a flesh. That's not spirit. Jesus said that Peter... Flesh and, or flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven, when He made that confession, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's where our knowledge of God needs to come from. I, I have what my ears hear, what my mind believes, and what my emotions feel. What my ears hear, what my mind believes, and what my emotions feel. What my ears hear and what my mind believes and what my emotions feel, my mouth will speak. I'll begin to speak these things out of my mouth. How many times have you spoken things that your emotions feel? 
How many times have you spoken things that your ears heard? Well, somebody said, I heard this. How many times have you spoken things that are just a belief that is in your mind? You don't know why it's there, but you've come to the conclusion that God just wants this to be in your life. And if people come and they show you, but look at what the Word of God says. Well, I just believe that God wants this to be in my life. Yeah, but the Bible doesn't support that. Yeah, but I just believe. I just believe. I just believe. I heard that there was a seminar speaker and he said uh, that you always need to let people know an overview of any speech you're going to give. Always let people an overview of any speech you are going to give. Because, he said, people will endure anything if they know it will come to an end. Give them an overview. Let them know where the end is. People will endure a whole lot of things in the name of following after God because they believe the end will come when they're in heaven. Well, I just got to endure this for a little while. When I get to heaven, I may be poor down here, but I won't be poor up there. I may be sick down here, but I won't be sick up there. I may be depressed down here, but I won't be depressed up there. People can endure anything if they know it will eventually come to an end. But that's not who your Father is. You've got to get the picture of who God is. Our view of God before compared to our view of God now. How is that? How was, how was your view of God before? Has it changed to what it is now? Do you see God differently now? How about how does God view us? How does God view us? How do you see God viewing us? What is it that you see God viewing you as? Does God view you as insignificant, not worth the time? Or does God see you as valuable? A treasure? Do you see God seeing you that way? When you come to God in prayer, do you, well, God, I'm sorry, I need to talk to you for a little while here. Are you making apologies, trying to clear some time in this schedule? Or do you get there and say, Father God, here I am. I'm your favorite. And I'm here. <laughs> you ever heard Jesse Duplantis? I guarantee that when he goes to God in prayer, he's not trying to get God to fit him in. He shows up. God, I'm here. I know you've been waiting. <laughs> here I am. Well, we've got to have that kind of a view. When you, have real, when you have loved ones in your life, do you... Oh, here they come again. Oh, man. No, when you have loved ones in your life and here they come, oh, can I take some time and, and, and spend some time with them? How does God view us? How do you see God viewing you? If someone were to observe your life... Make sure you get this one down. If someone to, were to observe your life, which view of ourselves and God would they say we had? What view, look, other people looking at you, what view of God do they think you have? What view would they say that you have that God sees you? Does God see you as a precious child or a hired servant? Does God see you as one that He can't wait to bless and to prosper? Now, for those of you who are old enough to have kids and grown up, how many of you want to see them have good things? Isn't it a good thing? Oh, I mean, it's just, it's, oh, it's, it's always good. You know, our kids are both here today. It's so good when they get a car they like, and they like that car. My son got a car. He likes that car. He enjoys driving that. My daughter got a car recently, and she likes that one and drives. It's so good. We like it so much when they have one. She had a car before. She said, I don't like this car. I don't want this car. Now she got a car and said, I like this car. This car's nice. I like this car. But so, we like it so much better to hear that. When, the, when they have a house, we want to say, oh, this is good. We like this house. You get a job, we want to hear things like, oh, I like this job. Oh, I, We don't want to hear things from our kids that say, oh, I can't stand going to work. Lousy, it's no good to go to work. Oh, I hate we don't want to hear stuff like that. What do we want to hear? Oh, I'm so excited about this job. Oh, and they pay me so well, and the people are nice to work with, and I look forward to going. That's what kind of things we want. Why would we, as earthly parents, want something more than God? God wants you to have a job that you look forward to going to. God wants you to have a job that blesses you. God wants you to have health. God wants you to have a good outlook on life. He doesn't want you to be down and depressed. He wants you to be excited about what's ahead for you for life. 
He doesn't want you to see the end coming when you die. And you can endure whatever it is you go through in this life until then. God wants you to be excited. Excited about what's ahead for us in the next life, absolutely. But excited about what's going on down in here. Excited about what's going on down in here. Oh, be excited. Understand that God wants good things for you. I know for some of you, this is, this is a different way of thinking. This is the way I think, well, I'm not, no, I'm not, not buying into that. I don't like that kind of stuff. And you, kind of, you put up a little bit of a wall there and you're a little bit resistant to it because the religious view of God has gotten into you. I grew up in some religious churches too. And I know what they can teach. And I had to unlearn some of that stuff and still some of that stuff still comes back and kind of messes with me. But you've got to shake that off. The view that we are to have of God is the one the Word of God gives us, not one that we got from other people. Not one that we get from the world. Not one that we get by deducing this and that. We get a picture of a God who wants to give good things to people. Who's always speaking words of blessings. Who's always speaking words of abundance. Who's always says, hang on, I got some good stuff in store. It's coming. It's coming. I got you looked out for. I know this thing is coming. Don't worry. I've made provision for it. Just follow me. Just go in the way that I've laid out here for you. You have a God who loves you. And if you have any other view of God the Father than that, you have a wrong view of Him. And you need to change it. Because you will not know what the true will of God is for your life unless you know who the Father is. If you have a wrong view of the Father, you will not ever accept His will for your life. Ever. You will never accept it. No matter how much you study, no matter how much you try, you will never accept the will of God for your life because you don't know who He is. You know about Him. You know about Him. But you don't know Him. You need to get to know Him. Read His Word for the purpose of, Father God, I want to learn who You are, what You are about, what You want to do for Your people. What do you want to do for me? What are your plans for me? Wouldn't it be nice if the Word of God would come out and say, for I know the plans that I have for you, and they are good plans or not bad plans? Wouldn't that be good if it said something like, doggone if it doesn't say that. <laughs> doggone if it doesn't say that. For I know the plans that I have for you. God knows the plans that He has for you. And He wants you to accomplish something in His kingdom. And He wants to bless you all the time. Yes, He's going to bless you in heaven. But He also wants you to bless you down here. He wants you to have a car you can rely on. He wants you to have a car that you like. He wants you to have health all of your days. Because He's promised that in His Word. He wants us to be a blessing to other people. He wants us to know His Word so that we can share His Word with others. He wants us to be effective in what we do. Brother Jolly's been challenging us about reaching people for the lost. Giving us a goal here over the year. You need to be speaking to yourself. You look in the mirror. You are a soul winner. You can speak to people about Jesus. You can win them over. You will have opportunity today to speak to people about Jesus. And tell yourself these things. Speak to yourself these things. See yourself witnessing to people. Sharing Jesus with people. See yourself doing, doing things you don't see yourself doing right now. We were listening to a sermon this week, uh, this week or last week. Uh, by, I'd never heard of her before. I think I knew of her and hadn't heard of her. Um, I forgot her first name. But Jerry Savell's daughter. She uh, filled in at a church service we were listening to. And she came in. And oh, I'll tell you what. Wow, that was a good sermon. <laughs> If I can get it on DVD or some kind of thing like that, I'll bring it in here and bring it for you on Wednesday night because it was good. I, I saved this. I'm going to listen to this one again. <laughs> it, she was good. Oh, I'll tell you what. I enjoyed that. I don't know what her first name is. I can't think of it. I, I know she said it in the, in the thing, but it was in the beginning and she didn't mess with it after that. So, <laughs> but uh, we'll find it and see if I can get it for you. If not, I'll tell you where you can download it and listen to it on yourself. But get a view of God that God desires good things. Because if you don't see God the one who desires good things, you will never see the true will of God for your life. 
Because when God or His Word or other people come and help reveal the will of God for your life, you will build up a wall. You will be resistant to it. Nope, nope, nope. Because that's not the God that I serve. Mephibosheth, people who could have come to him and said, David loves you. No, he doesn't. David doesn't want to kill you. Yes, he does. Why? Because of what people told him based on other people's experience and what has happened before. Stop relying on these views of God. God wants you to shake that free and walk in to what He has for you. Would you all stand up with us? Glory to God. Brother Jolly was talking today about people needing prayer. We put that note in the bulletin. We make mention of it all the time. If anyone ever needs prayer, we want you to ask. We will always take time. But if you want somebody to have individual time of prayer, absolutely grab hold of somebody, talk to somebody. But anytime you come in here, we want to pray for you for whatever it is that you need. Glory to God. Because prayer will change things. But you've got to be in a place of faith. We want you to get to a spot where you're not just hoping that something might happen. We want you to get to a place that if this happens, if you pray this way, this is the Word, this is what it says, this is the will of God, I'll receive this. Go ahead and pray. That's a whole lot better way to pray than to come before Him and beg and plead and not know what the will of God is. That's not a good way to come. Come to God, know His will. Know what He wants. Don't beg and plead. You don't have to beg and plead. You are made a son of God because of what Jesus did. You come into the covenant of Abraham and all His blessings. Glory to God. See yourself that way. Whatever you put your hand to, Father God, you said in your word, this will be blessed. You said in your word, this will be blessed. Bless it. Give me the wisdom I need. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the help that you give us. We thank you, Father, that everything that we set our hand to will prosper and succeed. Everything. It will bless us. It will bless the people we work for. Blessings We'll just go wherever we are. Father, help us to change the view we have of you. We need to see the right Father. We need to have the right view of who our Father is. Because then we, when the will of God is revealed for us, we can accept it. We don't want to be stuck in a place like Mephibosheth. Living out in the middle of nowhere, not being able to get out of the house, go very far. Not having a whole lot. Always in fear. But that wasn't the way he was supposed to live. Father, we thank you for the help that you give us. To change our view of God. To believe for better things.